Back in World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason in Portland, Oregon. Hi, everybody. I'm Tom D'Antoni, and this is another OMN Coffee Shop Conversation. Today, it's, well, I suppose we should call him a keyboard player because he can play them all, but I think he'd rather be known as an organist because we've seen him so many times sitting behind the mighty, mighty Hammond B3 and playing with people like Paul DeLay, Mel Brown, LaRonda Steele, Sweet Baby James Benton, Soul Vaccination, Lloyd-Jones, shall I go on and on, I could. He's got a new album called Rock Me Baby with LaRonda Steele, which has got national recognition and airplay. And we'll find out how he got to be named King Louis. He's one of the busiest musicians in the state. Glad he took some time out to talk with us. Here's Louis Payne. Welcome to the cupping room. Thank you. I don't have my <laughs> crown with me today. <laughs> did, did you call it? Did you? Did you? Where did that come from? I can blame Jaybird Coder for that. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, he likes to make up nicknames for local musicians, and I was playing with him, and he started calling me King Louis, and I was like, "Oh, this is really annoying." And then, uh, and then Paul Delay heard him do it, and then Paul starts, you know. <laughs> announcing me as King Louis, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, you know, this is really bad. And then, uh, but then I was working with Sweet Baby James Benton, yeah, and uh, and and I think I complained to him about this nickname that I'm starting to get, and and he said, oh man, run with it. You need a handle. Is it? Why do you think I use Sweet Baby James? <laughs> so, and then we ended up working together, and we called it King Louis and Baby James. Yeah, yeah. But you don't use King Louis in all your stuff, right? More and more. Really? More and more. Yeah. Oh, just, right. you know, yeah. it's, it's a, a brand. <laughs> okay. You, you're, you're one of the busiest musicians on earth, it seems like. I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm busy. Um, how many, all right, how many bands, how many bands are you a formal, former, a formal member of? Oh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> okay. Mel so, Brown. Mel Brown, right. Um, Your own my own but I've got like five bands you know different <laughs> that's what I mean <laughs> well but yeah but it's just configuring for different in different venues and uh -huh. different occasions and uh -huh. um, I play a lot with LaRonda Steele yeah. you know so when we do that it's King Louis and LaRonda Steele yeah um, I work with a lot with Andy Stokes yeah we don't really call it King Louis and Andy Stokes we just it, it with him it's more often these um, uh, special we we have kind of a thing going now where we'll started with Andy Stokes sings Marvin Gaye because yeah. Andy is so great at singing Marvin Gaye and sure so we is. did a whole night of, of that at Jimmy Max yeah. and it was a big hit so we did it again and then uh, then it was Andy Stokes sings Love Songs I was there for that one and we did that one twice and coming up is going to be Andy Stokes oh I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about the next oh. one oh oh yeah I think I'm, I'm sworn to, to secrecy oh now. but it's going to be really good it's coming up in a couple months okay <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so those are, those are some of the people I work with. You know, yeah. I, I was in soul vaccination yeah. uh, for around four years, but I've been out of that band two or three years anyway. Uh -huh. But I've subbed with him a couple of times. I yeah. subbed with him recently. Yeah. Um, that was fun. Um, I, we, we talked about Mel Brown, right? Mel Brown, yeah. 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 <laughs> See, I'm running out already. It's not that many. It is that many. <laughs> There's there's someone I'm forgetting and then I'll be embarrassed. That's but, okay. Yeah. You'll, it'll come to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, have you always been this diverse? No, no. I mean, all the years uh, I played with Paul Delay. Yeah. How many years did you play with Paul? Ten years. Wow. Yeah. And wow. and that was so great. You know, looking back on it, because Peter Damon, yeah, who was the um, uh, more or less the band leader along with Paul uh -huh. you know and he did all the booking he would just call me up each month and here's the dates and I put them on my calendar and it was easy peasy wow towards the middle of that stint I started working Thursday nights with Mel Brown at Jimmy Max the uh -huh. old Jimmy Max yeah um but it didn't really conflict much and um yeah so I wasn't I wasn't diverse back then but then when I left the Paul Delay band then I'm freelancing and I'm mm -hmm. filling in the calendar doing all this stuff well, but playing with Paul Delay and playing with Mel Brown—that's that's 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 pretty far apart, as far musically? as musically. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. Paul's you know passion is Chicago blues. Yeah, but he also liked jazz. Listened to uh, Rob McConnell and the Boss Brass. Uh-huh. You know, we'd be riding in the car. You know, after a gig with Paul, if we're riding together, he would never want to listen to blues because <laughs> we just did four hours of that. Yes. Right? So <laughs> it might be classical. He'd say, "Let's listen to some classical." You know, yeah. so. Um, but let's see. Oh, the difference in styles. Yeah. Yeah. But Paul was interested in what I, you know, from my kind of soul jazz and soul music background. Uh-huh. Yeah. He wanted me to bring that stuff to the table. Yes. Uh-huh. You know, he wrote these songs. He wrote all the lyrics. He wrote the bulk of the music. But then he would want us to give our, our input. Yeah. So we'd filter all these ideas through Paul. And, yeah. Um, I remember uh, when 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 uh, we shot your when we shot that band for Oregon Artbeat earlier right. in the day. <laughs> this is a, you know I did I did uh, you know two hundred stories for for Artbeat right. Wow. And the one story that I'm always remembered for I did like really serious in depth things and you know the one I'm remembered for most is the interview I did with Paul in a rib joint. <laughs> the one on Williams he used to go to all the time. You know that one? The mm. trop- tropical? Anyway, anyway. Uh, he loved um, um, what Cannon's Rib Express, which was right around the corner for his house. Yeah, he, he endorsed for Cannon. <laughs> Good plug for Cannon. He's a yeah. great guy. Yeah, well, where else, where else can you go someplace and have the guy bring, bring a slice of watermelon around for nothing? You know? <laughs> He's I mean, great. He, he does all, you know, when Reggie, play, Reggie plays there in the, Houston plays there in the summertime. Yeah. That's, I, what, that's what he does. He comes out and gives, gives everybody a slice of watermelon. Yeah, I did a bunch of those Sundays yeah. with Reggie. Yeah. yeah, Not this past year, but before. Yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, so uh, so I was remembered for eating my, you know, sloppily eating ribs with Paul Delay. How about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, were you on Chalk and Roll? Yes. We, we in inside that story, we made a little music video, uh, and he got the guy who's in the song. We got the <laughs> which one? Because there are so many pool uh, players. Well, I don't know. He, he it, recites a litany of cool pool t- pool player uh, uh, one nicknames. It was yeah. one of them anyway. And uh, that was very funny. Cool. Very funny. Uh, that must have been a trip, being with Paul. Oh, it was, it was great. I mean, he was so creative. His, he was bound and determined not to write any cliches. So, yeah. you know, yeah. if, uh, yeah. I broke his heart once. He had written this ballad that he was all excited about, and he was showing it to me so I could, you know, help him with it. And, mm-hmm. and I said, Paul, that bridge is the bridge of um, when a man loves a woman. <laughs> And he said, no, it's not. I said, yeah, it is, Paul. I'm sorry. You know, and, and then he just hung his head, and that was it for that tune. I never heard about that tune again. <laughs> but so, yeah, he was very creative, and yeah. lyrics were unique and witty, and, and he was like that in everyday life. He was really witty. Yeah. So how did you end up in Portland? I, uh, we were talking about that earlier uh, before we started They're not doing supposed this. to know that. Oh, oh. <laughs> we just met. I've never seen Tom before in my life. <laughs> Um, I was a musician in, in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. That's where you're from. Which is where I'm from. Yeah. Grew up, actually born in San Francisco. Wow. And um, my older brother, one of my older brothers was a professional musician and, and became a songwriter. He wrote a hit record um, called C'est La Vie uh-huh. with an artist named Robbie Neville. And he wrote for Sheena Easton, uh-huh. different stuff. So he, um, But back then he was playing in bands and uh-huh. I wanted to... Uh, I was fascinated by the organ. He had a band that had an organ player in it. So I was kind of fascinated with that. And um, eventually my mom got tired of me talking about how I wanted to play the organ. And she booked me a lesson at a music studio in San Francisco. And Uh a guy named Norm Bellis, who's still active in Seattle, and started taking lessons. What was that like, sitting at the organ for the first time? Um, well, Norm was kind of an amazing teacher because uh-huh. all I knew how to play was the first part of Chopsticks. <laughs> I mean, that was all. And I was 16 years old. That, that, know, that, so that, 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 was, that's that it? That was it, yeah. <laughs> and not that well. <laughs> and I go to my first lesson with Norm Bellis, and he, and he said, well, we're going to play blues today. You're going to take a blues solo today. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, right. You know, I, no, I can't do that. And, and he insisted, and he uh, gave me one note at first to use you know you're going to take a solo with one note and I, I, well, I can't do that and then he demonstrated he did it you know and it how do you do co- that as a cool solo I don't have a keyboard here I can't show you <laughs> but you start real simple you start yeah. with yeah. three four 
bap, you know, <laughs> and take it from there. And you tell uh -huh. a story with that one note. Wow. And he taught me how to do that. And he wasn't, he didn't know a whole lot of theory and he wasn't a good reader and all the technique, you know, all the things that you would hope to get from your first teacher yeah. was kind of sketchy with Norm, but he taught me that. And to this day, I think that's the best teacher I could have had because there's all these musicians that have all the tools uh -huh. that everything you can learn in a book, you know, and, um, but that discrete skill of storytelling isn't something they were really taught. And I think it's, I think it's just, it's separate. I don't think it's necessarily goes with learning all that other stuff. You know, it's like you could, someone could be illiterate and not know any syntax and not much of vocabulary, mm -hmm. but they could tell a great story that would yeah. get your attention and yeah. Yeah. have you riveted, yeah. you know. And so, huh. 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 anyway, so that was my, my start in music. And, and then I was playing in top 40 bands in the Bay Area and eventually playing with some real good musicians. Um, Bruce Connie, Tower Power guitarist, uh -huh. and um, Jules Broussard, who had replaced Fathead Newman uh -huh. in the Ray Charles band, and later on playing with Santana. So I, I had this great sort of apprenticeship playing with some great Bay Area musicians. Uh -huh. But I got burned out with the music business and all the stuff going on with it and working for crooked club owners, <laughs> working with junky musicians. You know, yeah. sometimes they're the band leader and the money isn't right. You right. Know, and the money's disappearing mysteriously. Yeah. I got tired of the traffic and logistics of being a musician in the Bay Area, lugging Hammond B3 around, just the whole thing. I was like, you know, Maybe this wasn't what I should have done. I'd always been good at writing. Uh -huh. I came from a literary family. My stepfather was creative writing professor, dean of creative writing at San Francisco State. And my mom was one of his students who went on to become a famous, to the extent you can be famous, being a feminist poet. <laughs> <But> <laughs> to this day, people, if I mentioned her name, Frances Jaffer, uh -huh. you know, people into poetry know who that was. So. Yeah. So I was good at writing, just as naturally, you know. So I say, I should have been a journalist, that's what I should have done. <laughs> and I uh, mentioned that to my grandparents one time, and they were pretty well off, and they said, well, we'll give you an allowance to go back to school. Wow. And I had just, I think I would just graduated, or finished my freshman year is all I had ever done. And so I'm in, what am I, mid-30s, uh -huh. and I, uh, I couldn't, it wouldn't, with the amount of money they were giving me wouldn't have gotten me anywhere in San Francisco, but I moved up to Portland uh -huh. and went to San Francisco, uh, Portland State and graduated, um, got a degree in history with an emphasis on writing and I won the Historical Writing Award. So I was like, now I'm ready to start doing journalism. Yeah. <laughs> and then I found out what was really involved in that. You, what, know, what you were telling me a story earlier in that conversation we didn't have about how much <laughs> you could get paid for doing an uh, article with a prestigious music right. magazine. Right. So, so I was like, wow. And then there's the politics of it. You yeah. know, and the, the, yeah. uh, now, what, around what year was this? I moved in 86 okay. from the Bay Area. Okay. And I didn't touch a keyboard until um, 1990. You I completely, stopped playing? completely stopped. Wow. I was like dedicated to this. I got straight A's. I was, you know, on huh. the track to, okay, I'm going to be a journalist. I'm going to yeah. give this a real shot. And um, about six months of, you know, like volunteering as a junior editor. And, um, yeah, it was really bad, the, the, the politics of it. Well, that was actually a good time to get out of journalism. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I mean, it, yeah. it still was, it still was, it still was paying up until the, the mid-90s. Mm. Mid to late 90s. Yeah. You could still get... I mean, I, I got an assignment from George Magazine for $5 a word. You couldn't get $5 a word, mm. un, uh, you know, un, uh, unless you were in, in the, in, you know, in, in Vanity Fair or something like that, you know, these days. Well, I was in a situation where I was, you know, just trying to get started volunteering because I didn't have a, a, a master's or I didn't have an advanced degree. Yeah. You know, I had just, just a BA and in, in histor historical writing award. So, you know, so I didn't have much of a resume and I'm, just volunteering at uh, a couple organizations, and you know, we're this one. I was uh, I better not mention the organization, but it was a <laughs> medical research um, uh, organization here in Portland. Yeah. And come to realize, you know, I mean, I'm I'm helping these PhD doctors with their right. research papers, yeah. and yeah. you know, the, trying to uh, 
that they wanted, you know, hyped up in the newsletter and this and that, and they couldn't write. I mean, they, these guys are PhDs, but they were writing horrible syntax, yeah. run-on sentences, just, yeah. Yeah. and I'm having to, you know, kind of do this political thing where I'm telling them, oh, this is really great. It's just, we need to dumb it down a little bit, yeah. you know, and I, I was, this is like if I'd stayed in music and I had to play with a club owner every night, play his songs, <laughs> tell him how great they are. Never get to cut loose. Yeah. <laughs> I applied for one of those jobs one time, and I was actually relieved that I didn't got it. Didn't mm. get it. Yeah, you know, you dodged bit, a bullet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. So, uh, who were your writer heroes? Were you like, uh, were you, as far as historical writing, were, were you a Gore Vidal fan? No, not so much. I'm trying <laughs> to think. I'm trying to think back now. Uh, no, not Gore okay. Vidal. Uh, um, maybe that was the problem. <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't think, oh, my journalistic heroes, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, Woodward and Bernstein, you well, know, yeah, you know yeah, to, to do yeah, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, good question. So what got you back into playing? Well, I, um, my former teacher, Norm Bellis, who was in uh -huh. Seattle, called me and said he was going to be auditioning for this blues band in, in Portland uh -huh. that I want to come out and hear him. And I said, sure. And I went out and it was the Paul DeLay band. <laughs> he didn't get the, the gig for some reason. And, uh, but I, I became friends with a bass player, John Beisline, mm -hmm. and uh, we just started playing golf together because we found out that we both liked to play golf. Yeah. And after about a year of you know, being friends, Paul got busted. Oh, yeah. And very publicly. Yes. And John said, you, you know, guys are bailing. There's, there's no keyboard player now. You know, Paul, is, he'll, he'll be going to jail soon, uh -huh. but it's not happening yet. We still have these gigs. Would you like to try out for the band? And I said, sure, you know, just be fun you know so were you in that band while he was while he was in jail it ended up being three years before he went to jail ah see it ended uh -huh. up the legal process stretched out yeah and so i was in the paul delay band for three years that's when chalk and roll was yeah recorded and the other one and there were two two cds one called the other one the other one called paul zilla yeah yeah on which were later records. combined into one into, into one cd evidence yeah, yeah. evidence uh yeah. Re re reissued most yeah. of that material as yeah. one cd called yeah. take it from the turnaround right um, so yeah, so I played with Paul for three years. It ended up being, and by that time, I wasn't about to go back to the journalism thing, which I hadn't been enjoying. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, what was the name of the band while he was in jail? The American Standard Blues Band. That, that, that was, no, I'm sorry. That was his jail band. Yeah. Named after the toilets in the <laughs> American Standard. <laughs> but while he was in there, these were, you know, novice musicians. Yeah. But he was... He was really freed up as a songwriter. He had never recorded his own songs before. And I think he had a trunk full of lyrics, but yeah. he'd been self-conscious yeah. about it. Maybe yeah. people wouldn't like them. Yeah. They were very personal. Uh -huh. And so he had just been doing cover materials. So once he got into prison, it, he'd been paraded across the front page of the news and you yeah. know, uh, yeah. in handcuffs. So he was beyond being self-conscious about his lyrics anymore. So he so. started working yeah. on these songs with these novice musicians, and he would teach them their parts note by note. Wow. And Paul had it all in his head. <laughs> and he got a smuggled cassette uh, recording of the American Standard Blues Band. <laughs> 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 and when he got out, we worked up this, this material that he had, uh, uh -huh. that he had written, uh -huh. and that was the first CD after he got out, which was yeah. called... Um, um, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Ocean of Tears. Uh, which was, uh -huh. I think a lot of us think was the best. Wow. Yeah. So then you were back, so did, you were still playing while he was in jail. Yeah, and that was, that's what you were thinking about. Yeah. That was called the No Delay. No band, Delay, right. Which Paul thought was funny. You <laughs> yes, know. yes. And uh, we were backing in Linda Hornbuckle uh -huh. for that three years, uh -huh. three-year period. Uh -huh. Wow. Yeah, it was great. Linda was fantastic, and we did yeah. a CD that we're all proud of yeah. to this day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so after after Paul Delay, what 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 direction did you go in? Well, a little bit back back more to my roots, playing you know soul what music. I call soul jazz. Yeah, you know soul yeah. music, but also soul jazz. I mean yeah. that's really what yeah. the Mel Brown group, if you want to categorize it. Uh -huh. And you know, we do some Motown, we do some right. straight ahead jazz, right. but a lot of what you know you call soul jazz. The, uh -huh. These jazz organ groups started popping up in the 50s and 60s in black nightclubs all over the country uh -huh. they were just ubiquitous yeah. and it was it was funky jazz you know with, yep. with soul music mixed yep. in 
Les McCann, Eddie Harris. All Les McCann, Eddie yeah. Harris. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, um, what's some other? Stanley Turrentine. Right. Um, right. Right. Yeah. John Handy. John Handy. Um, more no? straight ahead. Didn't he do more straight ahead? Well, he. Uh, he started out straight ahead. I think yeah. he, he, he got into the funky stuff. Charles Mingus. Yeah. 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 Later on, he, he got into funkier yeah. stuff. And I had had my real apprenticeship with this guy, Jules Broussard, yeah. down in the Bay Area, who was, yeah. I mentioned earlier, I think. And um, Jules, we did sort of the soul jazz songbook. You know, Horace Silver is another. Yeah. Jimmy Smith, all yep. the organ players, Jack McDuff, Groove yep. Holmes. Yep. So that was sort of maybe, if not my first love, you know, that was, you know, my strongest uh -huh. passion, uh -huh. sort of, and so I sort of started doing more of that. Uh -huh. And then also, uh, you know, putting together soul music tributes, you know, when Wilson uh -huh. Pickett passed away, yeah. we called it the Portland Soul All-Stars, I put that together. Uh -huh. And I would get to work with Janice Groggins, you know. Yeah. One of my reasons for doing it is wanting to play with her. What is it? You know, her death has affected so many people. Oh, yeah. I, half the people I have in here, it, it comes up, you know, wow. about, about, you know. She played with everybody. I yeah, mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she, uh, when we, uh, my wife and I, uh, mainly my wife and Mary Flower, yeah. put together a memorial for Janice yeah. called. Um, I was there. Yeah. I emceed <laughs> some of the it. Alberta Rose. Yeah. <laughs> my wife's company is Soul Sisters Productions, by yeah. the way. But that was Mary's event, and then my yeah. wife helped her out with it. Right. And, um uh, we found out just how many people would play with Janice. So it was very hard yeah, to yeah. schedule that because yeah, who do you yeah, leave out? Yeah. You know? How did you? Uh, how does a, a piano and organ work together? Well, it's of course in the gospel church. They're all together all the time. Yeah. You know, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I've listened to a lot of gospel music. I'm not a gospel musician, but uh -huh. I'm really influenced by it. And uh, of course, Janice, that's her roots. Yeah. So we just clicked. You know, it was very easy to play with her you know I would mainly follow her though because she was such a strong player yeah you know and yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah we I think we loved playing together and we must have done I don't know 20 of those tribute uh -huh. gigs together maybe yeah, more yeah, yeah. yeah Wilson Pickett Etta James uh, uh -huh. James Brown we did that yeah, a, a yeah. few times we did one tribute to Memphis Soul yeah. uh, just a whole bunch of well, when 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 piano and organ are in the same band, who who plays what? Well, in in these groups, I was kicking bass, so on the uh -huh. organ, yeah. which is coming out of that soul jazz organ group tradition. Jimmy Smith, yeah. Jack McDuff, all those people. Um, I mean, there's an, a whole other style of organ playing, which is real gospel organ playing, where the bass is mainly played with the foot, left foot. Yeah. Um, but the jazz organ is played with the left hand, uh -huh. and it's more bass like you know and that's yeah. play more of the same type of bass lines that ba bass players play mm -hmm. and so that's my primary responsibility uh -huh. and, and then whatever janice is doing then i'm filling in around that huh you know ah, interesting. so but uh -huh. we also work together in linda hornbuckle's band a lot uh -huh. and um with you know randy monroe on bass and um, that was great too I, then i'm just frosting on the cake because <laughs> we had Janice, we had Renato Caranto playing yeah. sax, and so I'm just like saying baseball, hitting it, hitting it where they ain't. Yes, you know? yes. I mean, one of the worst things is if everyone's playing the same thing. Everyone's in the same part of the beat, playing oh, the yeah. same, playing uh -huh. the same part. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Wow. So. You know what fans don't understand? They don't understand two things. They don't understand drummers because it's mm -hmm. both hands and both feet. And the same with 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 uh, uh, organ players. Yeah, people do, don't get that. How do how how, how does do you, do you, have you have you ever analyzed that, or you, or you just have the talent and you just do it? What's well, a two-handed, two-footed instrument for yeah, sure? Yeah, yeah. Because you're right, because the organ keyboard isn't touch sensitive. Doesn't matter how hard you hit those keys or how soft, the volume doesn't change. The touch is in your right foot, which is on they call it a swell pedal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So your right foot is important, your left foot is important, it's kicking the bass pedals. Left hand is, in the type of group I'm talking about, is playing bass lines. Yeah. Right hand is doing everything, you know, playing piano type parts, playing horn section yeah. type parts. But fans think that's magic. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's not. I mean, it's like <laughs> I know anything it's not, else. but it seems like it. It's like driving a car with a stick shift. I mean, at <laughs> first you're having to think, now I'm going to push down the clutch. Now I'm going to shift gears. Yeah. Now, yeah. now I have to look at the mirror because yeah. I'm going to change lanes. Right. 
And then next thing you know, you're thinking about your laundry list while you're doing it, you know. So. I never thought about it that way. That, that's excellent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's actually a lot in common playing an organ with driving a car. I, I read a quote from Booker T. And he was, someone was asking about the way he changes Leslie speeds with the Leslie switch. Uh -huh. And he said, eh, it's, he said, it's like uh, the way different people drive a race car. Everyone corners and accelerates a little different. And, uh -huh. and I was uh -huh. like, yeah, it is kind of like that. Wow. <clears throat> So when, when you took up the organ, did you have any idea that for the next several decades you'd be hauling big, large musical furniture around? None. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would have been flute for sure. No, I actually heard the sound first. Yeah. My, my older brothers you know, were an influence on me, like a lot of big brothers are. Uh -huh. I was the youngest. Yeah. And I remember them getting all excited when um, House of the Rising Sun came Eric Burton and the Animals oh, yeah. came on the jukebox uh -huh. and then rushing over the jukebox to listen to the organ. <laughs> so I couldn't pick out the organ. I mean, I was probably the five or something, but yeah. their fascination with it made it seem like this is the coolest thing ever. You know? <laughs> so, and then I heard like Ray Charles, let's go get stoned. I didn't know it, that was Billy Preston on the organ. You know, so I was hearing this amazing instrument and liking it before I knew what was actually involved. <laughs> wow. And it didn't, it didn't, it didn't deter you. It didn't. You no, were, I was young. It actually seemed kind of cool, you know. To carry that, this. It seemed kind of cool. Okay. You know, you they have dollies, you know, that, that you strap on that have handles and wheels, and you're young. You don't care, you know. They okay. didn't have light digital keyboards back then. No. So you weren't, weren't thinking about that. No, was, and you just you just started playing digital a few years a few years ago, right? Yeah, well, I couldn't stand any of the digital organs until a few years ago. What was the difference? What did they do? They got better. This company called Nord, yeah. and over in Scandinavia, they yeah. came out with one. I still can't stand it if you play it through its simulated Leslie. Really? But uh, but if I use a real Leslie speaker and plug it through that, it wow. sounds great. I, I used it just the other day. I, I recorded with Lisa Mann, uh -huh. a, a track on her new CD, yeah. and I said I could bring the B3 in there, but this Nord through Leslie, it's awful close, and she said, let's hear it. and. You really can't tell. I mean, wow. it's, it's that good. Wow. Yeah. Huh. If, if you line the two up side by side, then okay. You know, yeah. But so are you, st are you still using the B3? Use the B3 whenever I can, but I'm not ah. going to be lugging it from gig to gig. No. It's ah. got to be something special occasion or yeah. Jimmy Max. I have one of my Hammonds that lives there. The house really? Organ. Oh, yeah. Huh. That's been the case huh. for, what, 18 years, 19 years. Jeez. How many do you have? I'm down to <laughs> th three B3s, one C3, one A100, whatever that is, three, four, five. I'm down to five. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Joey DeFrancesco once told me he had 20, so. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Including one out by the pool. He, he lives in Phoenix and doesn't <laughs> rain. <laughs> That's so funny. But it's not like guitars. I mean, you can collect guitars and just keep them. They can be valuable. You can put them in a dead bolted closet. You, uh -huh. you can ship them back and forth across the country. Yeah. yeah. B3s are a headache, no question. I have this thing for theater organs, oh. old theater organs. Yeah. And I did a, I did a, a TV story one time. On, on the, I found a lot of the theater organs that, that, are, that are still around, and people are still, some of them are in people's houses, and, of course, there's a couple of them in, yeah. in, in, here and there. Uh, but... <clears throat> There was a guy who bought the theater on Fo the old movie theater on on Foster, who had dozens of them stashed in tr in truck trailers, in a field in Lentz, and he had built wow. an addition to uh, to the to that theater, and he had in it the 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 manual and everything else um, from some huge theater in San Francisco. And he was his his idea was to renovate, restore the whole theater, but not for the public, just for him. <laughs> he, and and he of course he never did it. It's, it's, it's one point in the interview. I, I he, he, he he said, uh, just call me eccentric, because he knew he was never gonna it was he would yeah. never get it done. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. He, well, that puts me in mind of my wife Tracy, who refers to organ players, all organ players, yeah. as organ nerds. <laughs> you know, D Jimmy Smith, organ nerd. 
Joey DeFrancesco, organ nerd, you know, and, and when we speak to each other, it's organ nerding, you know. <laughs> of course, she also talks about guitar players and their guitar nerding, too. They're talking yeah. about what gauge strings they're using and, yeah. you know, what kind of pickups they have on, you know, different vintage of Strat. I mean, it'll just roll, make your eyes roll over. <laughs> but I think organ players are the worst. Really? I mean, I mean that kind of, and that, and that, I'm talking Hammond organ players, these theater organ, I mean, yeah, they have their guilds and their societies. I know, yeah. I know. Yeah, oh, I met them all. <laughs> I met them all. And you know what's really strange? The one out at Oaks Park and the roller rink? Yeah. That used to be in a movie theater downtown originally. Oh. Hmm. It has a delay of at least a half a second. Well, they all do. They do? The theater organs, yeah, because it takes time yeah, for the sound yeah, yeah. to get through the pipe. So, it's, I mean, it's completely useless as a blues or jazz instrument. Yeah, but I was amazed. Yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah, you, know. you touch the key and then you wait for the sound. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have, you ever, have you ever tried one of those? I think I just, like, played Green Onions on one or something <laughs> just to see what it was like. <laughs> but, but the interesting thing about the Hammond organ is it was uh, designed, intended to sound like a pipe organ. And it was a uh -huh. miserable failure at that. Oh, <laughs> and because it was immediate, you touched the key and you had immediate sound. Uh -huh. And it had contact noise when you would touch the key that would like a click, like an attack on the really? note, which is not like a theater organ. It's the opposite. It's very yeah. percussive. Yeah. And then later on, with the Model B3, they actually added something called percussion, which adds a little ping to the attack on the note. So, you know, Jimmy Smith got a hold of that. Absolutely. What yeah. he did. And yeah. even before yeah. that, you know, in the church, I mean, Hammond was based in Chicago and the Chicago gospel uh, organists are getting hold of this thing and they're African Americans and they're they're playing it percussively you know and to Mr. Hammond this was just terrible <laughs> you know, he, he was he was racist for one thing you yeah know? oh he really never oh, supported geez. Jimmy Smith you know never oh man so I mean it's a great example of an instrument that was a complete failure in its intended use <laughs> that you know I mean the Fender Rhodes was supposed to sound like a piano you know right Clavinet was supposed to sound like a clavichord. You know, <laughs> all these history of inventions is a failed <laughs> stuff that was intended to be something and then ended up being something else. That's know. fascinating. Even evolution. I mean, yeah. you know, things that were designed to be one thing end up being, you know, like these fish that have like a fishing lure. <laughs> yes. That wasn't what that originally evolved to be, but then it started working as a fishing lure, and so it, <laughs> so it became more and more good as a fishing lure. Yeah. <laughs> We, we need to talk a little bit about, about James Benton. Yes. Um, uh, how, how did you guys hook up? When I started playing at Jimmy Max with Mel Brown, uh, I would be walking from the stage towards the bar, and, and you would pass these couple tables in the kind of in, in the way, in, in, on the way to the bar, uh -huh. and there are these older black gentlemen there every Thursday yeah. that we play, yeah. and... And there's like an amen corner. Those guys were so great. Yeah. Well, they, they were like rooting us on while we're playing. And, and w one of them would say this weird stuff as I was walking past. And I would think, <laughs> but it was kind of under his breath. I was like, did I hear him right? And did he say Lewis Payne, heartbreaker, bed shaker, baby maker? No, <laughs> he couldn't have said that. You know, so, so finally I stopped and talked to him. And that was sweet baby James. <laughs> And he mentioned that he was a singer, but, you know, a lot yeah. of people say they're singers. So I didn't think much about it at the was time. Was that before the original Cats? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, um, so, so I met him then, but didn't really know who he was, that he was a yeah. great singer. Yeah. And he said, let's get together and do some music. And I was, you know, this is a great old guy, but I don't, right. you know. Yeah. So then later on, I was playing with Mel Brown. Uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, that was that was with Mel Brown. Yeah. So I guess it was around the same time. Uh, Jaybird Coder asked me if I wanted to play with him and Jeff Miniweather, great drummer, and yeah. a singer named Sweet Baby James. And <laughs> I said, Oh, I, I know that guy. <laughs> and he said he can really sing. And oh, yeah, he can really sing. Yeah. So. So you didn't know that that basically those you know, James and, and and his and his buddies mentored Mel Brown. Oh no, no, I had no clue. Wow. <laughs> At that time, no, no, I found out. Yeah, yeah. So, so for maybe a year or so, I can't say. You know, I did some gigs with Jaybird and uh -huh. Jeff Miniweather. We would be at, yeah. at the Candlelight, and it was called Jaybird and the Cats. Yeah, might have been, might have been two years, or uh -huh. I don't know. Yeah. And then eventually, um, mean somewhere in there, James started with the original Cats. Uh huh. 
And I started doing some gigs with the original Cats, uh-huh. as did a lot of yeah. local musicians. Yeah. Um, and uh, but James was kind of dissatisfied with that. He kind of wanted to do something different. And yeah. I said, well, you know, let's do our own thing. Let's call it King Louis and Baby James. And we started. We played a couple gigs together, and then we did Waterfront Blues Festival. It was like yeah. maybe our third gig together. Yeah. yeah. And. Um, Peter Damon was going to play guitar, but he was running around running the festival. I wasn't yeah. sure he'd be able to make the set. He wasn't uh-huh. sure. Yeah. So I asked Janice Scroggins if she'd like to sit in with us. Wow. And she said, sure. And so she sat in, and the set was magical. And then Dan Fincher, sax player uh-huh. from Paul DeLay Band, he said, hey, I recorded that off of Kabu. Wow. And it uh, sounds pretty good. And I listened to it. I said, "Yeah, it sounds good." And we put that. That was our first CD <laughs> with Janice playing piano. Yeah, and yeah. Renato just ridiculous saxophone playing. Yeah, 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 yeah. James was quite a guy. Well, yeah, I quite mean, a guy. The, they broke the mold. I mean, James <laughs> was the warmest, funniest, yep. most musical. Yep. Uh, yeah, just so witty and, and again hilarious. Yeah. yeah, a lot of it was X-rated, but. <laughs> well, you know, I did a TV story on him way back in 2000, which predated the, the original yes. Cats. Matter of fact, yeah. the original Cats came out of that. And what was the name of the guy who ran the, the Blue Monk? You know who I mean? Uh, Tim. Tim. Yeah. Galano. Yeah, Tim Galano. Um, he was right. He was. He, he was hanging with those guys, and I think he got him a gig at Billy Reed's on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Him, him and Cleve, Cleve, uh, uh, trombone player. Yeah, Cleve, Cleve Williams, Williams, yeah. Williams, yeah. Who sounded exactly like Billy Eckstein. You ever hear him sing? He's singing, yeah, yeah. It was amazing. He used to sing Stardust. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I, Bobby I, Bradford, the trombone Bobby player. Bradford, who never said a word. <laughs> and Cleve uh, would talk for him. It was hilarious. <laughs> those guys, those guys were great together. Yeah. Uh, oh, I had a lot of fun playing with those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Esperanza played with him as a yeah. teenager. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, uh, he, he, when we were doing the story, took me around to his old house and in the backyard where where he used to have the clubhouse or whatever it was he had there where all all yeah. the cats went. The backyard. The backyard. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw that piece. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then every. Every time I saw him after that, literally every time I saw him, he thanked me for that piece because he said it got, it got him back into music. Hmm. And I was, I was almost embarrassed, you know, because, okay, I, I, thank you, thank you, thank you, you know. But he just, you know, he was just, he was so grateful, he just kept saying it, you know, all those years. Hmm. Even, even hmm. the last time I saw him, he, he, you know, he, he did it. He, he said the same thing. Yeah. What a guy. <laughs> He was a fantastic guy. Yeah. yeah, just everyone, so many people loved him, so, so many friends. Yeah. yeah. So the current project with LaRonda, yeah. tell me about that. Well, that came about sort of through us uh, when Linda Hornbuckle got sick. Yeah. Um, we continued to, uh, Linda's husband, Mark, continued to, you know, fulfill bookings that had been made uh, as the Linda Hornbuckle band, but with special guests. And LaRonda was prominent special guest, uh, Andy Stokes, Richard Arnold, yeah. Lady Cat. I'm, I'm leaving out a couple people. Yeah. But, um, but LaRonda, and LaRonda and I had also worked in those soul music tributes I've been doing back, going back to whenever it was, 2005 or whenever we started with the Wilson Pickett tribute. So she was always, it was, uh, what I always wanted, the core of that to me, we call it the Portland Soul All-Stars, was LaRonda, Linda, Janice and um, and Sean Holmes, mm-hmm. and then when Sean couldn't do it, we had Andy Stokes and and different singers. But um, um, but anyway, LaRonda was always you know someone I loved working with. Actually, it goes back even further. I'm sorry. Really, <laughs> we did uh, when Linda Horn when 1994 when uh-huh. we had just recorded our CD with Linda, she got an offer to go over to Europe. And um, with what's his name, Hat Key Largo, uh, Tony. No, no, after after Tony. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, she went over to Europe. So meanwhile, we're releasing the CD. Yeah, we understood it was an opportunity for Linda. Yeah. But um, so Peter Damon called me and said, "Hey, can Linda's? You know, I would call Linda, but she's out of town. Want to do a gospel 
uh, set at the Blues Festival. This was the first time they had done this. Oh. And he calls me. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so my first call was to Janice. I said, Janice, what, you yeah. know, who should we get? Yeah. And uh, Janice was musical director, and she, Loranda was one of the singers she mm -hmm. said we should get. So there's a video recently surfaced of that. Wow. And Loranda sang just like she does now. I mean, she's yeah. fantastic. She yeah. does a, a cappella, His Eyes on the Sparrow, uh -huh. just by herself. Wow. Yeah. But then at the end, she never says a word to the audience. At the very end, she says, thank you. <laughs> That's funny. So, the, the, what, what was what was the objective with this 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 album? Well, growing out of doing those Linda Hornbuckle band gigs together, we started doing some duo gigs, trio gigs, mm -hmm. and um, we never have anything to sell. People would want you know, people hear you play; they want to buy a CD of what they just heard. Mm -hmm. They don't want to hear your CD with someone else. They want to hear that yeah. what they just heard. And yeah. Rhonda was urging me for a while. Let's let's get in, let's record let's record. And finally, she convinced me, and which shouldn't have taken any convincing. <laughs> and uh, she knew a great, really a genius engineer, uh, Ukrainian-American named Yuri Tropitz, huh. Sheret Studios, which is right out of his home and uh, off of near Foster Road uh -huh. um, in Port Southeast Portland. So um, we went in there and recorded in two days. We only had the organ for two days, wow. and we only had drums for two days. So we recorded like 14, 15 tracks. And Loranda sang, you know, while we, and call the scratch vocals, you usually don't use them on the final recording. Uh -huh. and, and Renato was there for one of the two days on sax, then he had to take off. And then we had Edwin Coleman on one day on drums and Brian Foxworth the other day. Uh -huh. So that was it. Then we went back and did some overdubs. Loranda ended up using, keeping most of the scratch vocals. Really? And Renato just came in, I think did one solo over and a couple of little fixes and Loranda added some tambourine, and, and we had guitar overdubbed on some of the tunes. Uh -huh. But we kept it really sparse, so there was never guitar and sax on the same track. Uh -huh. So it was always kind of an unplugged, sparse sound. What did you like about that? You can really hear the organ. <laughs> <laughs> Those pesky guitar players, they get in the way all the time. Um, That's funny. <laughs> but it's also more spontaneous. It's the way, uh -huh. you know, Laurent yeah. is growing out of us doing these duo and trio gigs, so yeah. we wanted to be true to that. And uh -huh. this is the way we went about it. We didn't, okay, we're going to the studio now. We need some real material. Let's work up some originals. Let's, let's do, no, let's just do what we, what we do. You know, we, in, this, in, in these little casual restaurant gigs, you know, it would be like, do you know Walking the Dog? <laughs> yeah, I know Walking the Dog. <laughs> let's find a key. It looks like D is a good key. Let's do it, you know. That's the way we would play the gigs so that's what we did in the studio uh, did they request do they request mustang sally just kidding just no, kidding that, paul delay used to have <laughs> i know a, i know the, the crossed out mustang <laughs> sally on his harp case <laughs> but we did you know it's your thing yeah i mean yeah. we did some kind of standard kind of, we did blue moon just because uh -huh. we used to do it uh, and and we kind of had a cool arrangement of it that we had done uh -huh. some of the things we just arranged on the spot you know i had this idea for it's your thing and Brian was the drummer, and he said it needs a bridge. And so 30 seconds later, we had a bridge, and we recorded it. Wow. The, the title track is Rock Me Baby, and yeah. that was we had five minutes left in the, in the second day. That's all we had left. Wow. And I said, well, we recorded all the stuff we were going to record. Let's do Rock Me Baby in one take. And it was like, oh, man, that was perfect. <laughs> so really I loved the way it came out, and this guy, Yuri, got a fantastic sound on the organ uh -huh. and the voice. Yeah. He mixed it. He mastered it. Huh. Um and sent it off to Downbeat, and it got a four-star review in Downbeat. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Just, just on a, uh, recorded in, on a budget. <laughs> That's great. That's great. You know. No, I mean, I think sometimes a, a big budget is the enemy of a good CD. I mean, you, you really? really start overthinking things and oh, yeah. start fixing everything. Nowadays, you can uh -huh. go back and fix every note yeah. if you have the time and the money and yeah. the inclination. And you end up with kind of a Frankenstein's monster where it doesn't sound spontaneous or natural uh -huh. you know. uh -huh. well congratulations on that one thanks you know i mean uh, uh I, thank I, you for playing it i play it a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's getting airplay we we finally hired a record promoter uh um, radio promoter and uh -huh. he's he got it played all over the u.s particularly in uh -huh. australia and canada and yeah. it debuted at number eight on the living blues chart uh -huh. which is pretty cool hey let me ask you something did you see this soul music revival coming? 
I mean, all of a sudden, like, you know, over the past couple of years, all of a sudden, soul is huge again. I just never stopped playing it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, I mentioned, I said soul, I said soul jazz was kind of my first love. Yeah. But before that was soul music. Yeah. And Stax Volt in particular. Uh-huh. You know, uh, Otis Redding, Sam and Dave, Carla yeah. Thomas, yeah. Uh, Booker T and the MGs. Yeah. And I loved that music. It was very spare. You could hear all the parts. Uh-huh. And also the way they recorded it, it was the stereo in those days was really crude. Yeah. So the organ would be on the right side, <laughs> the horns were on the left side. I like that. And for me, learning learning the music, I could hear how it all fit together. You uh-huh. Know? Uh-huh. But I love those records, the soulfulness of it. And, yeah. and after that, it was gospel music. Uh-huh. I went through a time when all I listened to was gospel music. Uh-huh. I wasn't really playing it. I, I played like one year in a church in Oakland, but... Uh-huh. You know, I, I, I wasn't a gospel musician. It was just I just loved it. Yeah. And then, yeah. um, and then of course Jimmy Smith. You know, every organ player listens to Jimmy Smith. Yeah. And with that guy Jules Broussard, we did Jimmy Smith, Jack McDuff. Yeah. All yeah. the great jazz yeah. organists. Yeah. Speaking of stacks, I interviewed Sam Moore one time, a long, long time oh, ago. Great. Yeah. And and I wish I had. I wish I had it. I wish I wish I had that 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 interview recorded. Oh, too bad. Because. And I was doing, you know, I had him on for an hour, so I, you know, we could stretch out. And he explained in detail how Isaac Hayes ran all those sessions, because Isaac Hayes ran all those sessions. Yeah, you know, well, Sam and Dave sessions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of the stacks. Some stuff. of the others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was fascinating. Fascinating. Oh, to I hear bet. Yeah. You know, to hear out. Well, I just read this book. You might have read it called "Respect Yourself." No. There's a documentary called "Respect Yourself." Uh-huh. This is like an encyclopedic book huh. uh, it's incredible Booker T wrote the foreword uh-huh. and he said in in reading the book he learned all, all kinds of stuff about stacks that he didn't know <laughs> it's amazing you know, uh-huh. it's uh-huh. A, a lot of information and yeah. it's sad the rise and fall yeah it's it's kind of a cautionary tale about the dangers of success you know, nothing yeah. fails like success yeah they got big and they got too big and they outgrew yeah what I've seen a documentary. Yeah. I guess that's the same one. You love the book. Yeah. 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 I just actually just bought a book um, uh, on the Staple Singers. Oh, I'm reading that. Oh, yeah? I'm reading that one right now. I just told LaRonda <laughs> about that, about Mavis and... Yeah. 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 Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that, have you seen that documentary on her? No. Oh, man. It's on uh, H, it's HBO. HBO has mm. it. It's wonderful. Oh, my God. And this just ends. You just... It ends with her in the studio listening to pops with tears rolling oh, down oh. oh my god it's like kill you kill you i mean you, you can't i mean you you have to you you just cry along with her i just know? remember when she came to the waterfront festival and they hit the stage doing i'll take you there yeah and <laughs> I, th- I think whoever's introducing them says you know did i choke up thinking about it yeah 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 it's yeah. wonderful stuff <laughs> <laughs> but but I was just telling Laronda the other day, you know, I said, Laronda, you got to read this book about Mavis Staples. Yeah. And I was telling her she's the singer that Laronda reminds me of the most. Uh-huh. And Laronda's saying, yeah, she thinks that's her closest huh. connection, probably wow. Mavis. So are you doing uh, your your jams at at the Rose Room? Is that are that soul? You're building that as soul jazz? Is it calling that? it soul jazz? And but that's a big tent. You know, yes. we have we have blues. Yeah. We have yeah. we've had gospel musicians sitting in, uh-huh. actually doing a little bit of gospel. Is there a basic band? Yeah, well, there's a house band. Yeah, it's like the way Ron Steen runs his jams, where right. you'll have the house band that'll right. do an opening set and then yeah. open it up to yeah. to whoever shows up to play. And we've yeah. just had some wonderful young musicians, particularly. Coming like who's, in and who, who are you going to have tonight, for instance? I mean, this this won't this won't. <laughs> this, you know, just, for, for, just, <laughs> just, just, just made to me some... realize I'm not sure who our drummer is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be Micah Castle, but he's dealing with some family health issues oh, right geez. now, so I'll have to double check. Yeah. Uh, Jay Bird Coder is playing guitar. Is he there a lot? Yeah, he's been there a lot. We've yeah. been doing it for six yeah. weeks now. That's great. On you Wednesday know, nights. Yeah. Yeah. Man, talk about your unsung guitar players. Oh, yeah, he's very I mean, versatile. I mean, I know he got into the Oregon Music Hall of Fame, and everybody was very happy about that, but geez, you know, I mean... Uh, as, as, as great as he is and to be as unsung as he is is a shame you know yeah no I mean musicians know about Jay because sure. he's a great guitar player and can play all these styles so well right. yeah. yeah yeah. does he still walk around the audience we call that jaywalking <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know if Jay still does it probably does <laughs> it'd be kind of tough at this gig because it's kind of a high stage right <laughs> 
But no, we're excited about this this jam at the Rose Room. The uh-huh. Rose Room, as you know, it's uh, it's big. It's uh, it's got a great stage, great sound system, uh, parking lot right there. You know, easy parking. They got great food. Yeah. Our jam is no cover, so come on, folks. We'll come on down tonight. <laughs> it's at 80, 82nd and Killingsworth. Well, this this is going to run Thursday, so. Oh, can come down the next week. Go next week, And we'll, yeah. we'll definitely have a drummer for next yeah. week. <laughs> <laughs> and probably Jay Bird on guitar. Yeah, 8, eight to 11 o'clock. Yeah. Yep. Sounds good. <clears throat> Well, listen. Thanks so much. I mean, we could go on for a long, a long, you know, a lot longer. But this is—I think—we've covered a lot of great stuff. I really, I really like hearing about the, the you know, um, uh, I, we know what I really like to hear, hearing about how the piano and and and, uh, and organ work together. I don't, I've never heard that before from anybody. Yeah, you know, you know? Um, Groove Holmes was discovered by Les McCann and signed to Pacific Jazz Records. Really? And I think on Groove's first record. Uh, uh, Les also played piano, so uh-huh. so uh-huh. even in the jazz realm, you know, yeah. it's been. Uh, Joey DeFrancesco was out here a couple years ago uh-huh. and didn't bring a guitar player. He brought Pat Bianchi, wow. who's another great organist but also yeah. great piano player. And huh. they, they they did it that way. And that That's was, interesting. Who, who else does Pat Bianchi play with? No, he's with the. Uh, he was just he was just in with the, uh, to the jazz festival. Yes, he's in pa- pa- Pat Martino's Pat Martino. band. He's, yeah, 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 yeah. We did a, 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 a two pats. jazz. Co- there was a jazz conversation. What is it with these Italian virtuoso pats? Uh, hey, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and virtuoso disc jockeys. <laughs> I did want to mention one more thing. We we're talking about the Rose Room, uh-huh. and that's uh, my wife Tracy Tracy Turner Payne and her company Soul Sisters Productions. Mentioned them before. They're uh, b- booking the music and uh, getting some exciting stuff coming up. Andy Stokes is going to be back. That's too late for this broadcast. Yeah, Linda uh, Laranda is going to be there with Sean Holmes. And anyway, people can can go to the website and find and out. All full about disclosure: that. I do. I have been DJing out there on Tuesday. I nights. heard that. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it is a great sound system. Yeah, it's terrific. It really the is. Sound, the sound man is the Rose, the Modus Center sound man, Mick Boyd. Yeah, really knows what he's yeah. doing. Great. Well, good luck to all of us. Okay. <laughs> I'll drink to that with all my right. imaginary coffee. Yeah, really. Hey, thanks a lot for coming in. Thank really you, Really appreciate it. Nice to be here.